Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Tux Digital Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to be talking about 3D printing and how 3D printing is paving the way to the future. Then we head to Camera Corner where Wendy will be discussing what the gimbal? We'll find out what all that's about in the Camera Corner. So sit back, relax, and plug in because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, and Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, you got in the tech world. Have you actually unboxed it is the first question. First of all, you'll be proud of me. I unboxed it the day it came, the camera. I got an X, wow. an Insta360 One RS action camera, which is the same camera we talked about in episode 58 of Hardware Addicts, where Wendy showed us this really cool action camera that is reasonably priced and also pretty powerful with its all its features. So... We made a comment about jokes about parkour and how we were going to do that if we ever got one of these cameras. But we also decided we were going to go to a conference, which is the Southern California Linux Expo. And we made a pact on that day when we talked about this camera. If we got something like that, we're going to have to do parkour. So I've been practicing my parkour skills with this new camera to make sure that, that when we get to scale, we actually show everyone our super high-intensity skills of parkour. And I have Talking to say, I, it's, it's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. I jumped two steps yesterday. I mean... Now, when you jumped two steps, did you do like a half turn as you jumped them, or did you just literally jump two steps like a five-year-old? Uh, well, I jumped two steps, but I switched feet from one to the other. Oh, and well, that, that's and, different, yeah. Right, exactly. That is that is different. <laughs> It is interesting, the idea that Michael and I both have Insta360 1RS action cameras for the most extreme sports. I mean, in the advertising, they have people snowboarding off of mountains, people diving into depths with sharks and all of these crazy things going on. And then there's Michael and I, who spend 99.9% of our time safely in our home offices working on computers. And you wonder why. Do these two need action cameras? And that's because we have so much action built up in us from over the years of being in our office that we can't wait to unleash into these cameras. Like there's so much going to go down when we're forced to be outside at scale and talking to other human beings. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to let everybody see how amazing that we are at all these different action sports and maybe yeah. even like find a trampoline park and then maybe, you know, break a leg. Let's not do that one. Let's just stick with the, the parkour. <laughs> I wonder how well it picks up pale skin. Because one of my concerns is with the sun shining the down camera. on me <laughs> and my translucent pale skin, like, will it show me or will I be kind of like the predator in the movie where it's just kind of like this clear outline of a human being? It's one of the things we need to test is how well it works on pale skin. We got tips from Wendy for in an episode about lighting so we could actually you know make sure we got the reflectors and bounce it so we can kind of take away the harshness and see we we listen wendy that you do but i really don't think either one of you have to worry you're going to be so sunburnt it's going to pick up that red beautifully (laughs) way to go (laughs) that lobster red (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
Yes, it'll be fantastic. That's the spirit. What I'm most excited about is to see you guys use these firsthand, get your feedback on them after we've talked about them, and see are they actually worth the money that you spent on them? Are they something that you're going to continue using, or is this going to be a camera device that gets resold and off to somebody else? Yeah, I think it's going to be awesome to test this out, and we're going to be truthfully testing this out at scale and doing a lot of video and audio tests there. One of the things I have seen people complain about with this camera is that the audio isn't fantastic. The question is, is it good enough that we could export it and clean it up with some of our expertise in podcasting and audio work and such to make it good enough? So those are some of the things we'll be looking at. But Wendy, what have you been up to in the tech world? Well, the living room gaming system is in the process of actually coming to life. So I also talk about this on episode 19 of Linux Out Loud, but this Hardware Addicts will be coming out before Linux Out Loud. It's kind of funny in the way that it's all recorded. Like I recorded that one first, but it's coming out afterwards. So one of the things that I'm concerned about in building this system is I'm worried about the pre-built board because I'm using old parts from the system I had before. So it's got a pre-built motherboard on it with an i7-6700 and 16 gigs of DDR3 RAM. And I want this to be a system that I can run the kids' VR and get them off my main system. Now, it'll probably be using my RX 580 or a Vega 56, depending on if the Vega 56 actually works or not once I have it in hand. And I don't know, I'm not entirely sure, like, should I be looking at upgrading some of these other parts, which I want to, but is it something that needs to be done sooner than later? Because getting everybody out of my room, out of my space, off of my computer is really the most important thing. There are a bunch of tests that you can run once you have your machine together with the parts you think you're going to utilize that will tell you if your machine is powerful enough to handle VR. The specs and requirements for VR have continued to change, obviously, as the technology's gotten better. It's utilizing more power, more resources. Generally, all of the recommendations I see show at least 16 gigabytes of RAM required in them, Most of them have a Ryzen 5 or an Intel 5, generally 6 in the Intel side, 6th, 7th generation requirement in there. It will be interesting to see if you could pull it out with an RX 580. I believe the RX 580 was certified back in the day for virtual reality, so I feel like you should be able to do it. Yeah, they're already VRing on my RX 580 because that's what I've got in my main machine right now. But I have more RAM faster RAM, newer CPU in here. Though the plan is software-wise to have a dedicated Linux distro that is just all about gaming. Matt gave a few suggestions. So if you're listening to this on the Friday that it drops, you're going to have to wait until Wednesday the 22nd. Go listen to Linux Out Loud and you can hear what Matt suggests for me to put on there. But that's the goal is for this just to be a dedicated gaming box. And I know the 580 will work, but is the other stuff going to degrade the experience? Well, there's only one way to know for sure, and that's to try it. Speaking of video cards, though, did Michael ever ship you the one? No. Hmm. 
Michael, shame on you. So let's not bring this up right now. Let's talk about what <laughs> you've been up to this week, Ryan. So what have you been up to? Well, besides being sick, if everybody notices this weird sound in my voice, uh, I also picked up a new soldering station. So if you remember a couple of weeks back, I was talking to Wendy about the hot air rework station that I just absolutely love. But the soldering iron that comes with that isn't the greatest one. And I really wanted to pick up one that would allow me some more control, not only over the temperatures, but also just a better overall machine for your hand and different tip options and somebody that had a lot of standards and things in there. So I went with the Hakko, I think it is, H-A-K-K-O, FX-888-D-23BY. Amazing name. Amazing name. Perfect. Um, yes, they should come up with maybe some more exciting things because this is a very good I wouldn't say professional level, but probably enthusiast level soldering iron that comes with it. It has things like ceramic heating elements, um, a sensor to ensure the rapid heat up temperature, and it stays within ranges within just a one degree of the range that you set. So it can doesn't fluctuate too high or fluctuate too low. Has very good performance on the thermals for recovery. Adjustable temperatures, obviously, low temperature alarms. You even could set password protection on it so other people can't mess with the settings that you do with your presets in there. It's got a very ergonomic handpiece, which was something that was really important, and then just a ton of compatible different tips and things that you can get for this device. Now, there are obviously higher-end ones than this, but this is for all the needs that I do for circuitry between 120 degrees and 899 degrees Fahrenheit. You can do all the work that I need it to do. I haven't put it through its paces yet, but I did buy a couple of soldering kits that I want to play with. One is an AMFM radio, which I want to build with the kids. And another is just a little soldering game uh, that you can order these kits online. They cost generally between eight and $15. They're a great way not only to learn soldering, but also just to have some fun and teach your kids and other things how to solder because it's a skill set that they could use across more than just computers and components, but also any of your appliances, cars, radios, other things that you can do with this skill set. And it's a really fun thing to do as well. Uh, I've always enjoyed it. It's very relaxing for me, soldering. So if you've never gotten into it before, really a couple YouTube videos, and you'll be able to kind of figure out the basics and get into it. And then you'll have addiction like me, where you start having four, five, or six different types of soldering irons and stations and hot air rework and other things because you see somebody else has it and you want it because it looks cool. And this is a nice blue and yellow. It looks it actually looks really cool too on top of it. So if you're into soldering irons, check this one out. I've heard really good things about it. I've never get, had a chance to mess with a soldering iron, but I've always wanted to. So the next time I'm at your house, I'm going to try not to burn things down. Yeah, I'll so, give you the one that I don't <laughs> care about very much. I won't let you start with this one. I'll give you like the $8 one that came in like yeah, a kit fine. of tools and let you ruin that. And we'll put you outside so you could just set the concrete on fire. But yes, we will absolutely teach you soldering <laughs> next time you're at my house. Perfect. So Ryan, you're more worried about the gun than what he's working on? That's true. Like what would you be soldering, Michael? I'll just get one of those kits and see if I can do one of the kits. 
Okay, you're not just going to grab random things from my house and start soldering them together, right? <laughs> no, definitely not. But I can, I can, I think I can make your motherboard better. Oh, just... my God. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I, I sell it on YouTube, so nice. I think I can do it. <laughs> That's where every good tip starts, YouTube. I also sell some more tips on TikTok, so no problem. I, I got you. You know what else has got you? DigitalOcean. That's right. This episode of Hardwretics is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. DigitalOcean also helps teams regardless of their size. Whether you're a team of one person or a team of a thousand people, DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. And as a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. Actually, it's better than free because with DigitalOcean, they're going to give you a $100 free credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. If you've ever had the opportunity to play with a 3D printer, it's one of those experiences that just makes your imagination go wild on the possibilities. I remember the first time that I got my 3D printer to run and I hit print on a default design that was already loaded. I think it was just like a simple cup holder or something like that. But I watched the entire process, which 3D printers are kind of slow, at least the ones that I have, because I don't have the you know thousand dollar ones. I usually get the couple hundred dollar 3D printers. And I just remember sitting there for an hour or two, just watching it build this thing, string of plastic by string of plastic. And I was just amazed by it. And I brought my wife up and the kids up and they all were watching it. And they're like, yeah, cool, dad, bye. But the idea is that it was just awesome and awe-inspiring. I started thinking about all of the possibilities of things that you could do with this. And when you tell people you have a 3D printer, one of the first questions I always get from individuals is like, well, what do you do with it? Are you just doing basic toys and stuff like that? But I've actually found a lot of uses for my 3D printer over the years, including like I have these Alien Phi routers and I needed to mount one of these routers and they don't make a mount for the Alien Phi uh, that I could find at the time. So I just went online, found a mount for a different router that was a similar size, adjusted some of the specs on it so that it would fit the Alien Phi, hit print and boom, I now had a nice plastic, very thick and well-made mount for my router that I could hang up. Other things like you could print Legos. If you're missing that Lego piece, you got that 10,000 or whatever, 100,000 piece Death Star and you're missing one piece to finish it. You might be able to go out there and 3D print one of those as well. There's just so many cool things. I've got tool holders that I made for my soldering iron, for instance. I have a tool holder for all of my soldering components that I 3D printed myself out there. And yes, I also, of course, did unicorns and little toys for the kids and things. And there's all kinds of cool things you could do with the plastic, with the different colors and stuff. Like Michael and I went to Micro Center. There's a video on my channel of me taking Micro Center for the first time. But I don't know if you remember, Michael, there was an entire wall of different colors of filament that you could get. Oh, yeah. 
There was also multiple different types of 3D printers that you could get there as well. It was it was really cool because I I've seen 3D printers, but I've never actually like played with one. And the amount of stuff, I think there was an entire wall lined with just 3D printer stuff. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it's quite amazing. I mean, the colors range from, you know, your hot pinks, your golds, your grays, your black, everything you could think of. They've got colors for it. And there's so much that you can get involved and geek out in in the 3D printer world. Wendy, I think last week you were talking about the different nozzles and things that you can get. There's also different types of filament. But there's so much more to this world. But before I get into that, Wendy, you recently got a 3D printer. What was it like the first time you hit print on a design? Did you geek out as much as I was talking about? Oh, absolutely. I was super, super excited. It showed up when Magneto wasn't home and we had a function we had to go to. So I rounded up the kids. We went to that function and I came back and I stayed up super late that night just getting it all put together. We had to be somewhere else the next day. So as soon as we got back from that, I finished all of my leveling stuff. And of course, you have to start a print on it once it's done. It just has to be done. And the kids are super excited and they were wanting to see. And we've printed, like you, all kinds of things. So tool holders, of course, toys for the kids. I have all kinds of junk in the bathroom. I think a lot of the ladies do. And so in order to kind of get my skin routine all in one area of the counter, I've actually 3D printed organizers for all of that stuff as well. It's really cool to have that ability. And I've been talking to Nate on a weekly basis as he prints stuff for a CNC machine, which has got me really wanting one of those too. So I've looked at the instructions he's using, and there's a whole list of things that you can print to make a DIY CNC machine. 3D printers are amazing with what you can do with them. And I've got a wish list of filaments, which actually includes some that have real wood in them. Yeah, there's so many different types of filaments and things that you can use to create different types of designs. And even you can intermix colors. You can stop your print or pause your print and then switch out colors so that different parts have different colors to them as well, which is something I was playing with. It starts getting a little more advanced from a newbie standpoint anyways when you start doing that, making sure that it still continues in the right area, all of that stuff. But there's just all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff to geek out about with them, which is so much fun. Michael, I don't think you've ever had a 3D printer, but is this something that's on your geek wish list? I have never had one. That's correct. And I have always wanted one. But I just never had the chance to get into that space, you know, that kind of hobby. Because there are a lot of things that I would want to build. But I'm not known for patience when it comes to these types of things. So I'm patient in other ways, but not there. And I would kind of rather go out to the store and buy an organizer, for example, versus, you know, do the 3D printing. That is the lamest thing I've ever heard. Well, I'm not that actually finished. makes me want to cry for you. I'm not finished. So I do have other things that I wanted to do because I started going to that website called Thingiverse. And there is a ton of awesome, cool stuff there. And when I look at those sorts of things, I do want it because I would be able to build my own Deep Space Nine. And that would be amazing. There you go. I've got a quick question for you, Ryan. Since you are the one on here who has had one and played with one, Ever since getting mine, all I can think about is the things that I can do to upgrade it because I got 
a model that's pretty easy to upgrade like you. I wasn't getting the super, super high-end ones. It's all already boxed in. And now that I've got it, I've got to upgrade all the parts. Have you found that too? Yes, this absolutely is another money pit of a hobby where you could just go crazy with the amount of things. Not only that, but you could 3D print a lot of your enhancements. For instance, the roll holders for your filament would be something that a lot of people will initially create. Um, or even the tool holder that I talked about and other enhancements that you can print from your 3D printer for your 3D printer, which is pretty cool in itself. The other thing that made me laugh, though, is, Wendy, you mentioned, hey, I've got a bunch of things, you know, bathroom stuff that I want to organize and things as many ladies do. And I'd like to introduce you to Michael, who has more <laughs> brushes and things. Yeah. Yeah, he probably has just as much stuff on his bathroom sink as I do. Hey, Michael, with this is over, we should talk about our hair and skin routines. Yeah, I'm totally go. down with it. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I mean, Yo, it, start your own podcast. It's not, it's ridiculous that you brought that up, Ryan. But it also is true. I do care about my hair, and I do have products for it. So I, I, and also my beard. I have a lot of stuff for that. So yeah, I have a when you when you were making the comment about the organizer. I started laughing to myself because, like, yeah, I need that too. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. We already got your first use for your 3D printer. And so people know I have the longer LK4. I got this, I don't know, maybe a year or more ago. Uh, I think it currently runs about $199. When I got it, it was $229. It was 90% pre-assembled, which was great. Uh, if you've ever bought one of the ones that are not fully assembled, they're much cheaper Generally, you could get them for like a hundred bucks, maybe hundred and fifty. Honestly, not that much cheaper, uh, and it was the worst experience of my life. I have never put together something so difficult and complex and annoying, and wanted to pull my hair out more than building a three D printer that was not fully assembled, or mostly fully assembled. So, I would recommend you highly avoid any of the ones that are not at least ninety percent pre assembled. You will hate yourself if you do so and will not have a good experience. At least that was my experience with building my own. I would say that mine was mostly assembled. All of the motors were pre-attached. The board was already together inside a case. So the only thing I really had to do was get all of the sides together, right? It was flat and I had to actually build the box, install the print plate. It really wasn't that bad bad for me but I think it's exactly what you were saying mine was mostly assembled there was just a little right. bit of assembly to be done if I was having to attach the motors and make sure that I was using the right ones there yeah that would be just a little bit more time consuming and I was already worried about doing things wrong and Ender made it really really easy to get my wiring done properly because they label everything but I was still That's worried nice. about making improper connections. So, yeah, having to do a from ground up build would be actually terrifying. I bought this thing and now yeah. I put it together wrong and break it. Yeah, this was like a bunch of plexiglass that came in a box. The box was way too small to have a 3D printer in it, in my mind. But somehow, through all of the pieces of plexiglass that you put together to build the frame of it, you would build one and it was a very, this, I was a very early adopter into the 3d printer world. So this is years and years and years ago. I don't even know if they make something like this anymore, 
but it was just the worst experience I've ever had. And it was given to me as a gift. So I felt I had to keep going. And I believe it took me and my brother 18 hours or so together to put it together total. So it was just an extraordinary project. Um, So I don't recommend that. But one of the reasons why I wanted to bring up this technology, we're talking about consumer 3D printers, how much fun they are, even for Raspberry Pis, creating Kubernetes cases or cluster cases or anything. You could do all that with a 3D printer. So much fun. I want to talk about the future of 3D printing as well, because this technology is just exploding. This kind of came into my mind when I saw an article talking about GM having used 3D printing to get over some supply chain issues. As you know, there's been tons of companies that are faced with these supply chain constraints and they still need to produce products. They still need to make a profit and keep people employed. And so in this case, GM was in the news because they had to deliver their new Tahoe SUVs and they needed to get them out in time into the market and not have further delays with getting them. And so they needed this specific part and they needed a flexible spoiler closeout seal. And if they were to wait on the traditional injection mold methods that they would use to create something like this, they were going to have months of delay in getting these cars out to the market. So what GM had done, thankfully ahead of time, is they had actually created a 3D printing division in GM. And so they sent this to them and said, hey, this isn't a traditional piece of plastic. We need this to be flexible. And then we need this to fit these dimensions exactly. And of course, we need this polished because it's going to go on the outside of a car. So it needs to look really good too when you're done with it. And they were able to produce exactly that at a large scale 60,000 of these parts to be exact. And they utilized an HP multi-jet fusion 3D printer in order to do that. And in addition to just plastics, they also were able to 3D print metal components using powdered metals and things like that. And we've seen this technology utilized in things like drones. So you don't just have plastic you can print with, you can do metal as well using powdered metals, which is really, really awesome and unique to think about. Because as these things hit the big industries, generally they figure out a way to shrink them down and bring them into consumer market if there's enough demand for it. And I think 3D printing has shown a huge demand from the consumer market. I mean, Micro Center alone, the amount of items that they had that they're selling show there's a demand for these products. The amount of the store space that they're using for 3D printers alone shows the amount of demand there is out there for these types of devices. But I think a lot of people are just scared to get their hands on one not sure exactly how they would use it or how to do it. But the cool thing with the 3D printers that I've used is all of them have preloaded 3D models in them that you can just literally select in the screen and hit print for your first time once you load the plastic in. So it's really not that advanced initially of, of a tool or appliance for you to utilize. It's pretty easy to get used to. If you could change the time on your microwave, you can use a 3D printer. Yeah, absolutely. And most of the slicers that are out there now... I think are pretty simple to learn. They have a lot of standard settings that you could just pull whatever you wanted to print into a slicer, use the standard settings, and off it goes, and it should print pretty gosh dang good. Plus, there's tons of tutorials out there if you want to dig in a little deeper. It's not as bad as it used to be. I got into 3D printing really, really late. I've heard some horror stories But now I'd say 3D printing is really accessible. Yeah. It goes even deeper than just what we talked about with GM. I think that's an awesome use case that GM was able to kind of get 
these cars out into the market utilizing this 3D printing division and this technology from HP's printer. But they're also 3D printing homes now. 3D printed homes, barracks, and even in the future, 3D printed outposts on other planets like Mars is how they're looking at how they're going to be able to build in these alien environments on these different planets is by just 3D printing them. And there's one company I was looking at that uses a 19-ton Nexcon 3D printer from Black Buffalo 3D, which extrudes concrete out of its nozzle. And it works just like the 3D printer, Wendy, that you have where we watch it do strands of plastic. Well, this just does strands of concrete, except it's gigantic, but the same type of frame and the way the motor goes across and prints, it does the same concept but just in a giant scale to 3D print someone a home made of concrete. And I thought that was just so awesome. I think this is definitely one of the coolest uses for a 3D printer. Like you, I've watched some of those different space shows on the Discovery Channel. And there was a particular episode where they were talking about how do we actually get to Mars? How do we actually have people there doing research, doing studies? One of the suggestions was to use the caves, which, okay, now you're living in a dark hole all the time. But the other suggestion was 3D print the stuff that you need instead of sending all of your materials there, build them there with 3D printers, which is so cool. Now, these things are way bigger than even the extra large one I have sitting out in the other room, but that is an awesome use for it. I would love to go in and check out one of these 3D printed houses, walk around it, just to see what it looks like on the inside too. Yeah, and if you think about sustainability, you know, being able to create enough homes for people or in environments where it's very difficult to get materials to and things like that or giant construction crews, the ability to build houses like that could help for sustainability across lots of different areas, not only in the United States but other countries as well to get people some form of a home that's very safe. I mean, a house made of concrete it's very, very stable. And so I just think this is just such a cool use and reminds me so much of Star Trek and the replicator. And when you were talking about going to a foreign planet or an alien planet and being able to replicate whatever you need there on the spot versus having to wait for a shuttle of parts to come to you, which could take years, maybe even a decade or more, being able to 3D print what you need on the spot is going to be really, really important for missions like that in the future which is so Star Trek, and that's awesome. And I know that speaks to you, Michael. And another thing that's kind of like Star Trek Replicator is they're trying to 3D print food as well. Now, one of the examples I saw here was a pasta maker. So if you think about being able to, for chefs to make intricate forms and shapes, so not exactly the Star Trek food replicator that we all kind of dream of to solve all world hunger and all of that. But yeah, it's a step towards the direction of, hey, we're printing food here uh, to get the flour and the positive things into different shapes. So I could see that this could be something that could be expanded on in the future where we're 3D printing ourselves the perfect filet mignon. Yeah, that'd be really cool. At the point where I don't have to learn how to cook, even though I, I currently still need to learn how to cook, but I don't, I wouldn't have to. That sounds fantastic. And everybody who you know, has to eat like terrible, terrible food for you that is just not good for you, like fast food. And you could have a gourmet meal printed for you. That sounds amazing. You remember the whole issue with, uh, what was it called? Meat glue. 
where different grocery stores were being caught like gluing different parts of meat together to sell as a steak with this food grade glue so that it looked like like a beautiful filet mignon but it was really like a bunch of different parts of a filet mignon uh, scraps that they glued together to sell for a cheaper price anybody remember this controversy i do i don't i must be the only one maybe it was just in my area but this was a big controversy that hit and people were so disgusted by the idea that grocery stores were doing this with this meat glue. But it might be equally disgusting if you like had a filet mignon as a paste that gets 3D printed into a steak. So there's some work to be done with the food side. Fine. Yeah, I don't know how you would get the textures of any of that right with a 3D printer. Unless we just don't care about texture in the future. Yeah, we might not. We might evolve to not care about texture. Speaking of evolving... <laughs> Sorry, I just got, I just, I'm looking it up what meat glue is, and I found the Frankenstein, uh, Frankensteak. This is the Frankenstein ribeye steak. See, like, I wasn't wrong. I'm telling the truth. It was a thing. It happened. So we were talking about 3D printing things, food, maybe not there yet, not replicator level. Holmes was very cool. You could see a demo of this. We'll have a link in the show notes, but body parts, 3D printing body parts. Yeah. This is something that has already been done. They've done this with ears, for instance. And the process utilizes a conventional 3D printing, like we were talking about. Computer model of the ear is fed into a printer. But instead of laying down materials such as plastic, metal, or resin, they use a biocompatible material or bio-ink to build a scaffold that acts like a skeleton for the tissue that's being printed. And the scaffold is then seeded with cells from the patient and cultured so cells multiply. And from there... The implant is transplanted onto a patient. Researchers say since the cells came from the patient's own tissue, the new ear is unlikely to be rejected by the body as well. So now, if you accidentally lose an ear, maybe in the future even lose a finger, you might be able to just go to your 3D printer and print you one back out. It's not a big deal. Tell your kid to stop crying about the missing finger. (laughs) What a pep talk. This has amazing potential for burn victims where they need a lot of coverage in order to replace burnt and damaged skin. This is so cool. I like this way better than the 3D printed food. So I think burn victims is an amazing use case for this technology, as well as we know this is already being utilized for prosthetics. People have 3D printed their own prosthetics because prosthetics can cost thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. Sometimes they're unachievable, can't be afforded, People don't have insurance and other things to cover them. They go out and 3D print their own prosthetics and things for this. But maybe in the future, you could actually 3D print a new leg, a new arm, new fingers, those things. It would just absolutely be amazing. I mean, once you get the general idea of the ear down and things, I think it's just a matter of time and the technology progressing to take it to the next level if you can get these cells to cooperate to create this tissue. Yeah, that's awesome. And the whole prosthetics thing you're talking about, like the open source efforts that are being put into these things for you can get stuff on Instructables or Thingiverse and that sort of stuff. It's just fantastic use of 3D printers. And I know 3D printers are fantastic in general because they can do so many things. But this is kind of like above and beyond the value there because you're basically helping people get, you know, back to a if they lost their hand or their leg and something like that they can get back to being more independent than they, than they were. So I think that's 
just amazing. I agree. And then if we look at this even from another standpoint, so we've talked about food, which Wendy said, not yet, we're not ready there. Homes, which is awesome. Parts for manufacturing to get over supply chain issues, 3D printed body parts. But how about the fact that this also reduces overproduction and waste? So it's not just a step towards the future where you can make really cool things, but you can make those things on demand versus what happens today is many companies have landfills that they're filling full of stuff that they couldn't sell because they didn't meet the consumer demand. So there are industries where they make products like eyeglass frames and other things where they forecast, oh, we're going to sell this many. And they miss that forecast and they have no other option but to go out and destroy these or fill up landfills with these products that they made that they didn't sell to the forecast. So if you're printing on demand, that means there's no more waste. So as your customer orders one, the 3D printer gets the instruction, prints the frame, sends it, and then you send it, package it, send it to the customer, and you have no waste going into landfills. So there are many ways from a life standpoint that 3D printing can really improve our lives all the way around. And I guess more than anything else, I wanted to cover this topic to get everybody's imagination kind of flowing on how awesome this technology is. This is kind of the first step to the Star Trek replicator where they want something, they ask the computer and it produces it. We kind of have a version of that. It's not quite as cool as that replicator yet, but it's pretty darn close and it's something you could play with. And they also have biodegradable plastics and things they're looking at. So that are better for the environment and stuff. So there's just so many improvements and advancements coming. And this is a plea for the geeks out there. If you get a chance to get your hands on a 3d printer, I do not think you will regret that purchase. You will have so much fun with it. And like Wendy has talked about, you can get and geek out so much into the enhancements and adding new things to it, new nozzles, different filaments, and different ways of making products. You're just going to have a ton of fun with this. As someone who is somewhat interested in 3D printing, when I first heard of it years ago, I was like, that'd be cool, but maybe someday. I can say that this conversation through this podcast has now made me want a 3D printer. So I guess thanks yes. for in giving me incentive to spend more money. <laughs> Mission accomplished, Wendy. You are Wendy. very welcome. <laughs> of course, now it'll take nine months for him to take it out of the box and put it together, but... Well, on the bright side, once I start doing the 3D printing, there will be no box. So I automatically am unpackaging the thing because I'm not even packaging it. Boom. See, I have found a loophole to the system. Nice. Nice. Except for then he's going to need to reorder more filament, and then the filament's going to sit in the box for three months. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, it's baby steps, people. You know what, Wendy, it, it wasn't the coolness of 3D printing body parts or the powdered metal that you could do to create devices or printing homes. I think what sold Michael is the ability to organize his beauty kits. Yes, I think you're right. Yep. <laughs> okay, sure. Let's pretend that that's why. Bitwarden can also keep you organized. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. 
Say you want to check out that premium account that starts at just $10 per year. You get that with one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage, and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. If you're like me though, you're going to want to show your appreciation for this awesome open source project and get that premium edition that starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us what the gimbal? One of your guys' biggest complaints last time we recorded the show was that the device that I brought you couldn't do video. Well, that's exactly what these two new gimbals from DJI do. They help you make awesome, awesome videos with your camera. So they're releasing two new ones for their RS line. Both of them have a beefed up algorithm for the stabilization, giving it a 20% boost in that process. One tap calibration, tap to sleep button, and the non-pro version starts at just 6.6 pounds, so it's pretty light. Now, the pro version is even cooler. So it's got all of that other fun stuff, those advancements, but it has carbon fiber arms. So we're dropping the weight of this gimbal by half, 3.3 pounds, and it can hold up to 10 pounds. This thing looks absolutely amazing. Like I had a gimbal that I took the Southeast Linux Fest. I think it was DJI, wasn't it, Michael, or something? It was like $189 or something, but it was nothing like this. Like I struggled with it. It couldn't hold the weight of the camera sometimes. It kind of flopped around, but overall it did pretty good. But this is like a whole new level when you look at pictures. This is like professional cinematography looking gimbal here where you've got attachments you can add into it for more control of the angles and it just looks absolutely phenomenal it is and dj makes fantastic products these are not for your everyday i'm shooting with my mirrorless camera my dslr in order to make home movies these are for content creators if you are putting together video that's going out to a bunch of people. I mean, if you want to play with this for home use, absolutely go ahead and do it. But this is made for those professionals. It is made for content creation. That's awesome because that means if I use it for my, my, when I organize my beauty products, I can make a video showing you how the 3D printed organizer improves my life. Uh, See, solved. Perfect. Absolutely. You can have your Sony camera on this gimbal and both of them on auto mode. (laughs) perfect you know us so well but something that isn't auto is a lot of lenses that film creators are using these days some of my favorite lenses are manual focus vintage quote-unquote lenses absolutely love them and this one the rs3 pro has a focus motor for manual lenses, which absolutely blows me away. So if you want to take one of these awesome old lenses, you love the way it looks, it's where you want your film to go and look and fill, you can still have that. You can still film with that, which is crazy. So the non-pro version starts at $550 
and the pro version is up to 870. So these aren't cheap gimbals, but they are definitely awesome tools if you're wanting to take your digital camera that can do both stills and video and get some amazing smooth shots. We could be like Casey Neistat with this, Michael. We could, I, I think this is a worthy business investment for us. Agreed. I mean, it wouldn't be quite as cool as this video they're showing where people are like Olympic swimmers and hiking because I don't do any of that crap because it's outside gross. But imagine <laughs> me just carrying that around my house as I munch on some Cheetos, type some code out, those type of exciting things. I mean, the amount of key value that you get from this kind of awesome stabilization while you're sitting at your desk without any movement at all, <laughs> it's... You couldn't put a price on that. Well, I guess you can. DJI did put a price on that. They found that, that that's they that's such a good deal for such a valuable factor of your filmmaking career. What's amazing about this is the fact that they're actually showing a DSLR camera hooked up to this gimbal. And it's able to, as soon as the motor turns on, pick the full weight of that DSLR with a big lens on it up and balance it entirely without any struggle at all, which just shows you how much they've improved the designs of these because my phone wouldn't work on the prior gimbals. Like the weight of my phone was too much. Now we're talking about a full-size DSLR camera. The device looks no bigger than the other gimbals that I've used in the past, but the motor is able to pick up that entire DSLR and the lens and stabilize it as soon as you turn it on, which is pretty cool. Yeah, the motors in this are absolutely amazing. I have a gimbal. It's a crane, the first version of the crane, not by DJI. I can't really pronounce the name of it, so I will make sure it gets added to the show notes. And one of the worst things about using that gimbal in particular is the time it takes to get everything balanced properly so you can use the camera on it. So I can use my DSLR on that gimbal the improvements that they're making with these newer ones is to cut down on that time. It doesn't have to be perfectly balanced. The motors are strong enough. The algorithms inside are capable enough that you can have it mostly good and go off to shooting. Yeah, it says it can hold 6.6 .6 pounds for the $549 version and up to 10 pounds on the $869 version. That's a lot of camera and a lot of lens. Absolutely. I love that you brought this to the show because this is just one of those things that I always think about what if in the future as we increase the production of Tux Digital and things, take the show on the road and those type of stuff. And then as you know, Wendy, one week you were talking about the Insta360, a couple of weeks later, Michael and me have them. It might be the same thing that happens with the RS3. I just need to talk to Michael and convince him we need these gimbals so we could take our show on the road a little bit. And by road, I mean, like, my driveway and stuff. There is a reason this show is called Hardware Addicts. Anything else on this one, Wendy? No, they're pretty straightforward. Awesome new iterations of the DJI gimbals. If you would like something in the gimbal range, they have other ones that aren't quite so expensive to get you started. If you're making films, videos with your camera, great lineup. And you can find them used. You know, that brings up an interesting question. Some people may be like, I don't know what the heck a gimbal is or what I would even use it for. How would you explain the use case of a gimbal? In less than 30 seconds. Yes. 10 words or less. 
you need to take video which you are using for content creation and the video has to be stable. So handheld, it's going to be wobbly as you move because most cameras, DSLRs, mirrorless cameras, don't have that great of image stabilization. This gives you hardware that does that image stabilization for you. It can be moved, swung around for nice, clean panning motions. Gimbals are amazing for video. I didn't count how much time that took, but it was definitely more than 10 words. Yeah, it was more than 10 words. So you failed on that note, but it was a seconds. great explanation. He said 10 words. I said less than 30 seconds. I think you got the less than 30 seconds, though. Yeah. Nailed it. Now I want you to do the same thing in 10 words. Go. That's it. Our 63rd episode <laughs> of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Wendy decided not to play along. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, be sure to check out all the great content on the Tux Digital Network. Head to tuxdigital.com. Check out all the great podcasts and YouTube partners available. There is so much there to fill your brains with remember there's no such thing as too much hardware learn build innovate and grow we hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you next time for another perfectly stabilized episode of hardware edits where we always use the right filaments